You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Well, like Carrie said, uh, super excited about the baptisms this morning. And I was kind of back around the corner on the last two baptisms in this service. And I absolutely, I do not take this for granted. And please don't in this room. Number one, I love uh, seeing adults uh, go public in their faith with Jesus. But number two, I love hearing this audience celebrate. Uh, There's just something special about you guys getting excited and not holding back. So um, I love being at a church that that celebrates in such a big way. Also, let me kind of clear up. Last week, we stopped in the middle of the message to pray for a gentleman in this room. And God answered prayers. And we're thankful for Uh, God taking care of him. Thank you for your patience through that situation. And uh, one more thing, please be in prayer for Severe Heights. We'll be hosting uh, the funeral for the officer that was killed tragically over the weekend. And please pray for us. It's going to give us an opportunity to love on this city and and families that are hurting in a a very powerful and significant way. Um, I I would like to pray before we jump into this text because it's, uh, this text is kind of, uh, you know, Actually, let me pray first and then we jump in, all right? God, I do want to thank you for this passage of Scripture. And uh, Father, you know that this passage is, is somewhat difficult in that so many of us in this room, as we read this, we think we're above this passage. Uh, God, we think that we would never go to this place. But God, I pray that today you would have our undivided attention when we see that this can happen. And truth be told, it is happening all across this room. But there are opportunities there are opportunities for change. I pray that you would leverage your word in a powerful way to speak to men, women, kids in a way that uh, that changes lives. And I pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, periodically in this room, you guys share books and you know lectures and even podcasts with me. Recently, I came across this podcast, um, How I Built This. The, the guy that runs the podcast, his name's Guy Raz. And what he does is he sits down with men and women that have started businesses that have done well. And he asks them a series of questions, typically about breakthroughs, typically about mentors, things they did right. Did they ever want to quit? Uh, It's really insightful. And he sits down with people like uh, the guy that started Five Guys, Chipotle, Airbnb. So it's it's pretty interesting. But, But the thing that Guy is known about with his podcast is he always somehow toward the end weaves this question in to every person. How much of your success do you attribute to luck? Those are his words. And how much to hard work, which is pretty insightful when the people give an answer because uh, they give responses that kind of gives clarity on, on what made them and what made the company. And you never find anybody that says it was 100% luck. Like nobody in their right mind is going to make a statement like that. Uh, typically, it's a combo, but they won't use the words luck often. They'll say, you know, it had to do with a lot of hard work, but in a humble way, they'll say, and then some things just came together that it probably shouldn't have. Like somebody gave a significant gift or an investment to the company. We developed a partnership with someone and they made a contract with us and they, they agreed to do business with, uh, with us for X amount of years. Or a mentor came along or we just stumbled on this discovery. Over and over, people give answers to that question kind of a little bit of both ways. It was hard work and yet there were some things that just, just happened to be. Well, if Guy Ross, the guy that has this podcast, if he were to ask King Nebuchadnezzar that question. Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't have an ounce of humility. I want us today to consider that question. And how much of your success do you attribute to luck and how much to hard work? I want you to take that question into consideration as we go back to Babylon. The year is 605 BC. 
Nebuchadnezzar is the king, and he has established a city that is actually growing more than it's ever grown. It's, you could refer to this period as the Neo-Babylonian Empire, meaning it's brand new. He's got new streets. He's got new gates, uh, new palaces, new homes, new fountains, new pools. Everything about this kingdom is new, and there is not an ounce of humility in Nebuchadnezzar's life. But in today's story, in today's story, there's going to be a tragic fall. And all of us should take note because we will find out what it looks like to walk humbly with God in seasons of success. Meaning some of you in this room right now, marriage is going pretty good. After all, you were at the marriage conference, the date night on Friday night. So everything's doing well, right? Some of this room, perhaps parenting's going great. Like you're kind of in a season where there's not much drama. Maybe some of you financially, you're pretty good. It's not like you're you're batting a thousand, but you're making ends meet, and you're probably saving a little bit to decide. Successful. Maybe some in here work's going good or school's going good. The question is, how do you and I, what does it really look like to, to walk humbly before God when, when things are going well, when it's kind of successful? Because as we'll see in the story today, there is the danger that comes with accidental arrogance. And there is healing that comes with humility. If you got your Bibles, you can look to Daniel chapter 4. In Daniel chapter 4, we're going to look at four different parts to the story. Part number one is the palace. In this section of Scripture, um, Nebuchadnezzar is going to do a lot of talking, telling the story. Uh, chapter 4, verse number 4, it begins this way. I, Nebuchadnezzar, I was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? He's reached a point in his life where he's doing just fine. He's worked hard to get there. And he looks around and he's like, look, um, I'm at home. My palace, content and prosperous. To which some of us might ask the question, okay, what's wrong with that? Well, not much really. But what you will find is chapter 1 through 3, there has been a theme that has been present, or you could say absent in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And the one thing that's been absent is, is God. The theme is he's paid no attention to what God has allowed or God has arranged or God has created when it comes to Nebuchadnezzar's authority, his responsibility, or his talent. He just thinks in so many words when he looks at his kingdom, three words that I want you to repeat with me. Ready? I did this. Will you say it with me? I did this. Because Babylon the Great is actually Nebuchadnezzar the Great. He did this. When you see the pictures of that city, you got to realize that majority of that happened under his leadership, under his reign. So he dreamed this when it came to the streets and the palaces. He fought for this when it came to all the people that were coming in. This man did this, to which I want to say he did, sort of. It's just not the whole picture. But when those of us in this room, honestly, we get to a point in our life where we have these palace moments— where we begin to look around and think, you know what, I, I did this. And you did, sort of. It's just not the whole picture. Uh, like some of you think about work. You got up uh, in the mornings you, on a consistent basis. You get there early. You, you, um, you come prepared. You're mentally sharp. You knock things out. You work with the team. You recruit great people around you. And after all said and done, as work progresses, you can look at all the success and think, you know what, I did this. You may not say it out loud, but you think it. And you did, sort of. It's just not the whole picture. 
or the students in the room that are doing well academically. Maybe you're in college, high school, middle school, whatever it is, and you think, man, I, I get up, my parents do help me, I get there early, I take notes, I pay attention, I study, I do papers when I get home, I pull late nights and you get a grade, you get the scholarship. You think, I've done this. Well, you did, sort of. It's just not the whole picture. Financially, somebody in the room, done well. You've been wise, you've been dis- disciplined, you've lived beneath your means, and, and now you've got a freedom or flexibility that many don't. And you can think to yourself, comparatively speaking, I did this. You did, sort of. It's just not the whole picture. The problem with I did this isn't that it's untrue. The problem is that it's incomplete. Uh, there are a lot of decisions that you and I made. Decisions like, whether or not you would go to school, what degree you would get, whether or not you'd do more school, you'd work for a living, uh, who you would marry. There are decisions that we made, but there are a lot of things that happened to us that we had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with. For example, where I was born in this country, I had nothing to do with this. You had nothing to do with this. I could have easily been born, you could have easily been born in a third world country where we do not have the opportunities that we have today and we would work time and time and time again for just a couple dollars a day. You didn't do that. How about this? Not just where I was born, but when I was born. Consider the decade in which you were born. Most of us in this room, if we'd been born 50, 60 years earlier, we would have been born around the time of the Great Depression. Think about that. And you wouldn't have the opportunities that you have today. And guess what? You had no choice in the matter. You did not have anything to do with that decision. So I didn't do this. Here's another decision. My parents, nothing to do with it. Your position as a child, you had a mom or a dad probably that worked hard. That is a privilege. You had nothing to do with it. So you saw work ethic, ethic played out. You saw it wasn't a decision on, okay, am I going to go? Am I not going to go? No, it was part of it. So understand, like, these are just a few areas in life where you see, okay, I didn't have much to do to Dude, I did not have much to do with this. In other words, God had his hand on this. I can say I did this, and the truth is, you did. Sort of. It's just not the whole picture. Can you imagine Guy Raz asking the question to Nebuchadnezzar and him responding, well, I did this. So far, this is how it plays out. But when you see Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, chapters 1 through 3, you understand they had no choice where they were born. They recognized it. They had no choice that they were brought into slavery and brought into the Babylonian Empire, had to learn new literature, new language, given new names. They had no choice on this. They understood that God's fingerprints were all over their story. And so that's why when you look at their life versus the life of Nebuchadnezzar, you see a stark contrast from arrogance and humility. So back to what he says. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, content and prosperous. Does anyone see, foresee a significant turn? All right, watch what happens now. Part two, another dream. Verse number five. Nebuchadnezzar says, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So no matter one verse, from verse 4 to verse 5, his emotions have changed. He was contented and prosperous to now being terrified and afraid. And so what does he do? He calls his wise men in. 
all the guys that graduated from the three-year program, and he asked them, okay, here's my dream. I need you to interpret it. And every one of them, once again, makes a statement, we can't do it. As a matter of fact, I don't think anyone can do it, to which Nebuchadnezzar responds, then bring Daniel back in. Daniel comes into the scene, and then Nebuchadnezzar begins by telling Daniel his dream. It begins with a tree. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant. On it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. And then a voice from heaven makes a declaration as Nebuchadnezzar continues the dream. Cut down the tree. Trim off its branches. Strip off the leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. And concerning this stump, let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground. In the grass of the field, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass. Be this for him. Nebuchadnezzar is bothered by this dream. And he looks at Daniel. Daniel's bothered by the dream. Nebuchadnezzar says, Daniel, shoot straight. Daniel's statement is, King, I, I wish this dream was for your enemies and not for you. There's kind of been this sense of camaraderie that's developed over the years. And Daniel looks to the king and he makes this statement. Verse 22, your majesty, you are that tree. You've grown in fame. You're renowned. The kingdom's flourished and people tremble at you. But, verse 25, you will be driven away from people. You'll live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of the heaven. King, you will lose your mind. Meaning, your humanity will be stripped away from you. But remember the part about the stump, Daniel says? Verse 26, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means your kingdom will be restored to you when? When you acknowledge that heaven rules. King, you'll get it back when you realize you didn't do all this. Your ability, your authority, responsibility, it's a gift from God. And right now it's on loan. Meaning it's just temporary and eventually there will be a day that you are to give an account. And King, until you recognize that God gives gifts and it's his right to equally retrieve them, until you get to this point recognizing that all you have, King, you will be humbled because there's danger and arrogance. And then Daniel gives a warning, like, Forgive the pun, but he goes out on a limb here. All right, here's some advice. Verse 27. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Some of you just got the joke. It's great, all right? Be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what's right. He continues. And renounce your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. So let's go back to the city, the empire. You got to ask the question, okay, what are those statements doing what is right and be kind to the oppressed, like renounce all that and do this stuff right? What's that all about? Well, understand this city, the empire, 
it came together under Nebuchadnezzar. He did this. Like, like in a small window of time, palaces went up. Pools went in. Streets were fixed. The walls were rebuilt. In a small window of time, like, like unbelievable small window of time, everything went up. It's almost like he had to have tons of help, right? Lots of people getting paid less than minimum wage. Think slaves. Because he was taking advantage of the world. There is something here for all of us that Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar, even in light of how he's built, how he's built the kingdom. There are two words I want you to remember that are connected. Ready? Humility and kindness. Humility is kind of an abstract word, right? Like when people ask that, that question, bothersome, like, like, are you humble? How do you respond? I don't know. Like, I hope so. I think so, but does that mean I'm not? Like, like humility is, is abstract. But what Daniel's letting the king know when it comes to humility, ready? What if we show humility toward God through our kindness toward people? Like, what if this is humility? Like, you show humility toward a God that you can't see by showing kindness toward people that you can see. Can I tell you what it looks like to the husbands in this room? Showing kindness and humility to your wife, like being sensitive to her needs, even when you don't feel like it. To the wives, showing respect, even in a season or a window that he does not deserve it and you don't want to give it. To the kids with kindness on behalf of your parents, showing gratitude without being prodded. Doing the things your parents ask without being reminded. Listening to their advice. That's what humility and kindness is. Like, like showing humility toward a God that you can't see by showing kindness to the authority that you can. Or how about at work? You treat, you treat people that are unseeable, unknowable with extreme kindness. People that other people walk past. Or how about at work? You don't bash the people in authority. How about this at a restaurant? When you don't get the service that you want in a timely manner, you are still kind, you are thoughtful, and you tip well. All I'm saying is this. What if humility is connected to kindness in a way that you and I never dreamed? And even the fact that humility is so abstract from God's point of view, it's seen in kindness to other people. Well, this is Daniel's warning. Like he's telling the king up front, here's my advice renounce these ways and begin to be kind toward other people. Well, guess what? After the warning, one full year goes by. Nothing happens. And guess where the king is? He's walking around on the top of his palace, looking over everything that he's built. Listen to the king's words. It's almost like he never heard the warning. Is not this the great Babylon that I've built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Sound familiar? I did this. It's almost like the guy never got warned. Part four, the field. Daniel chapter four, verse 33. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nail like the claws of a bird. The guy loses 
his mind. And into the field he goes. To which some might say, Tim, it's not like this is going to happen to me. You're right, it probably won't. But something will. There's a proverb that all of us in this room are somewhat familiar with. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. You know, many of us have simplified it to make it easier. Pride comes before fall. And since that's the case, I want you to pay close attention. That means some falls can be prevented. I mean, some of the stuff that happens to you and I, it's just part of life. It happens. But some of the falls that we've taken, they can be prevented when we humble ourselves. Meaning, when we ask for help, when we say we're sorry, when we actually forgive someone, when we come clean about a secret, when we go above and beyond to do something that, that seems so impossible, understand some falls can be prevented. But according to the, the, the text, humility is required. And all of those things I mentioned, like coming clean, apologizing, telling everyone, look, look, I blew it. All of those are so difficult because humility is so hard. Understand that since pride comes before a fall, some of the falls that you and I have taken, they didn't need to happen. Typically, they happen when I fold my arms. And I walk around my little palace, and I think I did this. Or slowly, I think, I don't need advice. I don't need to listen to wise counsel. Or I'm not owning any of my responsibility in this. Those are all hints at arrogance. And if that's the case, I just want you to know, you might wake up in a field one day, alone, isolated, far from God, distant from the people in your life that matter the most. And you brought yourself there. You find yourself where Nebuchadnezzar finds himself. But the good news is this is not where his story ends. You remember the story about the stump? The part of the dream that Daniel gave a promise? The kingdom would be restored if or when. Listen to verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I raised my eyes toward heaven. My sanity was restored. And then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. I love the way this ends. You got to realize this. God doesn't just humble the proud. He lifts the humble. This is on the heart of God. And, and this isn't just about Nebuchadnezzar. Understand, listen to what James said. James, the brother of Jesus said, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud, the arrogant. But he shows favor to the humble. Or a few verses later, James said it this way, humble yourselves before God and he will lift you up. Um, this is the heart of God to lift up those that are humble. One of our favorite stories in Scripture, if you think about it, Luke 15, we spent about three or four weeks on it last, last year, looking at the story of the prodigal son. One of our favorite stories, I want you to consider the prodigal son and draw parallels with Daniel 4. 
Prodigal son, if you'll remember, he goes to his dad and says, I want everything that's coming to me, and I want it now. I want, it, I want you to go ahead and act like you've died. The dad gives him the inheritance. The son goes out and spends it however he wants. He's got his rooftop moments. I've done this. I did this. I can do this. And before long, he spent everything. He didn't heed any advice. In his arrogance, he made the worst decisions. There is a phrase that is overlooked time and time again. Listen to it carefully. Luke 15, verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him where? To the fields. Sound familiar? And you consider what takes place next. The son starts feeding the pigs. Craving the food that the pigs are eating. Thinking that his dad's servants have it so much better than him. So what happens next? Luke 15, 17. When he came to his senses. Do you see the arrogance? To the field you go. Do you see the humility? He comes to his senses. When he comes to his senses and realizes, I blew it. It's humiliating. I don't want to say I'm sorry, but I have to say I'm sorry. Like, there's no way I should be forgiven. I don't even deserve to be one of my dad's hired, hired servants. But he gathers himself. He comes to his senses. He smells bad. He looks bad. He takes off running and his dad sees him from a distance, meets him halfway. And his dad holds him and embraces him. And so much and rightfully so, is made of the Father's embrace because it's beautiful. But I want you to consider this part today. In the story, Luke 15, the son's humility made himself available for the Father's embrace. Because he went to the field. He got humbled. He came to his senses. He realized he should have listened. He should have sought advice. He realized that he did this, was true, but, but kind of, not really. God's hand was all over this. And understand, the story of Luke 15 is not just a story about the embrace of the Father, as beautiful as it is. It's a story about the humility of a son. And the Father meets him at the crossroads of humility. This is the heart of our Father. When you find yourself in a field, some of you today find yourself in the middle of a field. Your marriage. You made some bad decisions. As a child, you find yourself in a field. You've made a series of bad decisions. You're isolated. You're alone. You're far from God, far from people that love you. As a friend, you find yourself in a field. All across this room, all of us deal with these field moments. So here's what I would love for us to do today in humility. Let's bow our head, close our eyes. And consider what it looks like to come to your senses. Just like Nebuchadnezzar. Just like the prodigal son. For some of you, is there an apology that needs to be made? Say it's hard. Yep. Humility is hard. Is there something you need to come clean about? Something you did, something you didn't do. Is there someone you need to genuinely ask for advice from? You need to posture yourself to listen. 
There's some of you today that find yourself in a field financially with your job because I did this got to your head. And you're reminded there's a little bit of truth in that, kind of. It's just not the whole picture. And in your heart of hearts, you find yourself alone, far from God, distant from people that matter the most. Think of Nebuchadnezzar when I lifted my eyes. Think of the prodigal son when I came to my senses. What would it look like for those in this room right now that are in the middle of a field to be humble? Understand that God opposes the proud. There's danger and arrogance. But he lifts up the humble. Father, today I pray for all of us in this room that experience those I did this moments. It creeps into our head at the worst time. God, I especially pray for the husbands today, the wives today, the kids today, the owners of businesses, employees, those that are doing well. Those that are doing well and we're so close to finding ourselves in a field. God, remind us the hard work toward humility. Remind us of the connection between humility and kindness that we may never considered. Humility toward you is often shown in kindness toward people. May we listen well. May we be kind. May we be sensitive. May we be thoughtful. And God, when we find ourselves in a field, may we lift up our eyes. May we confess. May we come clean. Even when it's difficult. God, for the future that is around the corner that is represented by people in this room, the marriages, the families, the jobs, all that could be. I pray that this story in the life of Nebuchadnezzar would be a warning. God, I pray that we would heed it. And we would understand that you delight in humility. And I pray all of this today in Jesus' name. Amen.